You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. I want to encourage you to see something very precious about what Jesus is trying to teach us here. That God is our Father in every true sense of the word. And it doesn't mean God's not holy. It doesn't mean God's not awesome. Um, but God's also comforting. He's supposed to be a father who's also comforting. The reality, and again, we try to be kind of real in our church, the reality, maybe even for some of us here, when we say father, that's not the most comforting idea for you. Um, Maybe some of us, maybe we have really negative images of father. So when I say father, you're like, oh, that's not going to a real good place here. Uh, maybe, maybe for some of us, maybe there was violence associated with father or, or abuse. Or maybe, maybe he was just a jerk. Um, some, some fathers, maybe they abandoned families even at an early age. So when you hear father, maybe for some of us even here, you're not comforted, but you're like angry, or maybe you're sad, or maybe some of us are even kind of horrified. Um, maybe for others of us, it's, it's not that God or Father was like outwardly bad or abusive or anything like that, but maybe um, he was just kind of sort of indifferent, like kind of there, taking up space, not abusive, but like distant, indifferent, um, maybe kind of demanding or kind of always grouchy. Or grumpy. Like that's who, that's who dad was. And, and, and here's why those things are important. Because when you hear me say God is a father, for some of you, that might be the thing that creeps in to kind of in your images. So you're hearing pastors say, oh, God's your father. You're thinking, oh, wow, he's kind of grumpy then, huh? If he was like my pops, he was just sitting there and telling me to go get him something and always, always saying I wasn't good enough. Or kind of looked at me with kind of a negative, like down on me. You mean, you mean God's like that? And maybe some of us, we even think then God's like a judge. And he's holding these scales about how much you've done and what you're supposed to do. And he's constantly looking at you and he's like shaking his head like, yeah, you screwed up again, huh? Messed up again, huh? Wow. You, you, you're creative in how you messed up, huh? And that's how we think about our fathers. And maybe that's how we think about God. But, but I want us to understand here today as we look in the Bible, what does Jesus mean when he says God is our father? We're going to look at this famous story. It's found in Luke chapter 15, um, starting verse 11. And this is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But I want to suggest to you today, maybe a better title is not, not that the prodigal son's not important, but maybe we can focus on the loving father. Because I think that's meant to be the focus in the story. So let me start in verse 11. And this is Jesus teaching. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So this son, he's going to his pops. He's saying, yo, pops, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go out on my own. But before I go, I want you to give me my share of my inheritance. And if you guys don't catch the significance... Um, if you don't know what an inheritance is, an inheritance comes after someone has passed and then they give you what your share is. So when he's saying, hey, dad, give me my inheritance now before I go, he's saying, I wish you were dead. 
I wish you were dead because I, I want what's mine. This is not a very happy son here. It's not a very grateful son. Let me continue. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pig ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So this son, he takes this inheritance. And his father was wealthy. So he's got some money now. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a little bit of money. But when you have money, it's, in, it's really fascinating how this works. You become really popular. People like you when you got money. When they hear that your check cleared, when they hear you got a little bit, suddenly everyone's your best friend. You're getting texts and calls from people who, you like getting Facebook invites to be friends now. Because people like to be around those with money because like this guy, he provided the party. He was the life of the party. He was the one that went into the bar and said, hey, this round's on me. Look how much I got. Oh, we love you, man. You're great to be around. But what happened is like money usually tends to do, it it leaves. (laughs) Especially when you're spending it like this guy was. Partied hard. But everything was gone. And we see that a famine arose. A famine meant that there was no food. So he was hungry. He was hungry. If any of you have been hungry, you can identify with him. He's hungry. He doesn't have any more money. He's got to work, though. So he's working feeding pigs. And and did you see what it said there? He's looking at what the pigs are eating. He's saying, man, I'm so hungry. That looks so good. I wish I could even eat what they're eating. He's hungry. And he's longing back to where he was with his pops because his father was a wealthy man. He's like, yo, I'm like suffering here. I'm like looking at the pigs and I'm envious of little porkers here. And and my father's servants, man, they ate so much better than anything here. And and so he gets this idea, you know what, man, it's going to be humbling. I'm going to feel like a bum, but I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to ask him if he would take me back. Not as his son, because obviously I, I basically asked him, I wish you were dead. So maybe he'll take me back and I can even be one of his servants so I can eat better than these pigs. Let's continue verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. And imagine how scared he was, right? All the different thoughts. Have you ever done something really wrong and you got to own up to it? That, that not in your stomach feel... Maybe you feel someone's going to slap you and you don't know. But here's what happens. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And a normal father should have probably said, Yup, you're not. Go pick up a broom. Start cleaning. Well, what does the father do? He said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. 
I mean, this is one of the most powerful stories we have in the Bible because we see the heart of a loving father welcoming home his child that he's missed so much. And and picture with me, you you really got to use your imagination here. Here comes his son and he's far off and he's just walking down the road, probably a path he's known much of his life and he's walking towards home and he sees home in the distance and he probably doesn't smell very good. He definitely doesn't look good. He's concerned. He's he's probably humbled. He's shameful. He's embarrassed, but he's hungry. So he's going to keep walking. As he walks, he sees his pops out on the stoop. And his pop sees him. He's like, oh, man, I'm going to get it now. I better get ready. He's going to lay into me. He's going to say, you wasted all that money? Seriously? How does anyone go through money that quickly? And he's preparing himself for all this. And then he sees him start running. He's like, oh, man, Pops is real mad. I've never saw him run. That man don't even work out. I've never seen him run. And he's running towards him. He's like, oh, I better get ready. Does he got a bat? And what is it? He wraps his arms around him weeping, drenching him with his tears, kissing him all over. So glad that his son has come home. Why was the dad doing this? Have you ever missed someone? And and you feel silly doing it, but sometimes you just walk out on the steps every day. And imagine, I imagine this father, every day he got up, he walked out and just looked to see if Maybe this was the day his son would come home. Every day he kind of just waited there, wait, wishing, man, maybe today is the day that my boy will come home. And after a while, you start to get kind of discouraged, but you still do it. You're still looking in hope, thinking, oh, and you've, maybe you've heard stories. Oh, yeah, your son really did a big job with this. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be able to come home. He's sleeping with the pigs. He's in deep doo-doo. But then that finally, that one day you're out there again and you're holding your coffee cup. You're like, yeah, maybe today. Could that be him? Could that be him? He, he looks like him. He looks real dirty, but could that be my son? Could that be my boy? And you start to recognize that is your boy. And what do you do? You start running. He starts running. He don't care what the neighbor is going to say. He starts running for his son because he's just so happy that the kid he's missed so much has finally come home. And just like this father, our heavenly father, he also sees us when we return home. Our heavenly father awaits for each of us to come home. But here's the thing. He also sees us when we're off in that wandering country, when we're doing who, who knows what. When we're doing the worst possible things, he also sees us when we're in that other country, wasting our lives away. He knows what we are. He knows what we've done. But guys, you have to recognize this, even with everything we might be doing, that anyone else is going to shake their head at you. God the Father is looking at you and just wanting you to come home. That's his desire. God is a concerned father who loves his kids who are far away from him. And the thing is, when the, when the father sees his son here, he doesn't look like he did when he left home. Because he left home, and he was looking spiffy. He had all the nice clothes. He was looking like a man going to ready to party, ready to be attractive to maybe the young ladies. He was looking fine. He coming back, he's not looking very fine. He's smelling like someone that you would expect, probably hasn't had a shower in a long time, who's been trying to earn his money working with pigs. And I don't know how, any of, how many of you have worked with pigs. Um... 
I'm not a farmer, but I'm expecting you're not going to smell that pleasant, especially if you haven't had a bath afterwards. But when the father sees him, he, he forgets those hurtful things. The father sees him and he doesn't say, oh man, yo, this is the kid that told me he wishes I was dead so he could have his inheritance. He doesn't, he doesn't remember those things. He forgets the wasted money. He forgets all the lonely days that he had to suffer through because his son ran away. All he knows, his son has returned. He's home. He's safe. Finally, and here comes the son, slowly in humiliation, and the father sees him, runs swiftly, wraps him up, kisses him all over, drenches him with tears because he's so happy his boy's home. And now he doesn't just have to hold on to a memory, he can actually hold on to his boy in flesh again. He's that thrilled. And, and you guys got to understand, when it says he ran, this was, this was significant. Because uh, for us to understand here, it's not like some dude just picking up and running. Um, the, the, the clothing in those days for men, it was like a long garb that almost looked like a dress. So have you ever gone to like, um, say, a wedding and women are wearing like these long dresses, but then, oh, someone forgot the flowers and they start booking? It's really awkward looking because they got to hike up the dress and start running, Right. And no one needs to see that. It's just an awkward looking thing. That's why this was not done. Because it was shameful. Because he had to lift up his clothing so he could run. And he was running fast. So it was probably high up there. And you're showing your legs. It was considered a shameful thing. This is one of those things that we all have neighbors to do this, right? Kind of like something happens. They're like, oh man. What's this neighborhood coming to? That's what all his neighbors are thinking. This guy's got no shame at all. But the father don't care what he looks like. Because his prayers have been answered. He runs to meet his son. And, and I think you also have to understand, why did he cling to him? Probably because he missed him. But I, I think also, um, culturally, he clung on to him. He held him close. Why? Because under the penalty of this cultural law, this son, when all the neighbors saw him, what he deserved was everyone to pick up a stone This is how they killed people back then. Because this son had disrespected his father. And under the law, you deserve to be killed by stoning. That was the right every person had to do here. Because, yo, you disrespected your father. You dishonored your family name. You took his money and you spent it all. You wished your pops was dead. Yo, get ready, son. And, And to kill him. So imagine the father knowing that that's the cultural mandate. And getting around him. Covering up. So that any rocks that would get thrown would have to hit him first. Because he's going to protect his boy. Because he loves his son. But the thing is, the father doesn't just take him back. He, He shows how he completely restores him. One, we see some physical symbols. He asked for the robe. You guys caught that, right? He said, yo, bring the best robe and put it around him. Because a robe in a house, a rich house, it was a symbol of honor. If someone important came into your home to eat, you would get your best robe and put it around them. So what he's saying is, yo, this guy is my son back home. Get the best robe and cover him up. And you can imagine then if like one of the servants that didn't know Sonny Boy came home, walks in and just sees his back, he would think it was the father because it's his father's best robe. And imagine the surprise if he turns around and it's Sonny Boy. Because the father's saying, put my best on him. Even though he's wearing rags, 
When you see the cover around him, the robe, all you see is the wealth. And the father's restoring him. He says, put a ring on him. The ring was a symbol of authority. The ring was a a symbol of privilege saying, this great man, if I give my ring to someone, it's like, I mean, mobsters, that's why I say, kiss the ring. Why? It's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of, I've got power. When I give you my ring, son, you've got all the authority of this family name again. Give him the ring. He also says, put sandals on his feet. Because in those days, if you were a slave, you didn't wear shoes. You didn't wear shoes. So what he's saying here, even though in the boy's eyes, he deserved to be a slave. But the father's looking and saying, this is my boy. This is my boy. He's no slave. He's no servant. He's not going to work for me for money. He's my son. Put some good sandals on him. Put some good Birkenstocks on his feet. Put something good on his feet because he's mine. Because the father gets to determine who's got position and authority in the home. Even if all the neighbors are shaking their heads, it don't matter because the father gets to say, no, 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 no. He, He gets this. He gets this. And after the son has been restored to his place in the family, the father, he calls for, oh, let me read in verse 23. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the son has been restored. And now dad says, bring out the fattened calf. And, and some of you, you love beef. You eat it every day. But back then, the fattened calf, this was only brought out for really, really special occasions. This was only for the big celebrations. You brought out the fattened calf. Because for the dad, this was a great celebration. This was an honored guest. Even though he didn't smell like it, even though he didn't look like it, even though he hadn't lived like it, for the father, this is the most honored guest because his boy's home and it's time to celebrate. He thought he was dead, but he's actually alive. So the question for us, as we know these things, Jesus is trying to teach the people there. What's he trying to teach us? How do we respond if Jesus is trying to teach us this is how much God loves us as our father? I think one thing we should learn is we need to honor God. We need to honor God, our father. And just real simple, I'm not into real deep, heady stuff, right? Real simple. For some of us, that means come home. For some of us, that means come home. Some of us, we've been away from God. Some of us, we've been walking around in foreign countries, and I don't mean like with your passport, but foreign countries away from the pleasure of God. We've been living in ways that are not in line with God. We've been doing who knows what. Maybe we've even been destructive. Maybe we're hurting ourselves. Maybe we're hurting other people. Maybe we're wasting our lives. Maybe we're doing things that are not honoring to God. But maybe it's also not real obvious rebellion. But for some of us, we can even be here every week and still be living kind of off in that other country because we can be physically present. But in our in our mind space, we're not really living our lives for God. We're kind of doing our own thing. And simply, can I welcome you wherever you are at in your life? The father invites you home. Maybe you don't think you deserve it. Maybe you can think of every way you've fallen short. The father, he doesn't care about that. He says, I want you home. I know you've been doing this with your body. I know you've been dishonoring people with your mouth. I know you've probably not been obeying me with your thoughts. 
I know you've been wasting your life and everyone else shakes their head. You know what? I want you to come home. I want you to come home because I love you. And that's what the father does. And I think a practical application for that for for all of us here is I want you to come home. And if this is not your church, if you go to another church, I don't want you to leave that church. But if you don't go to a church, I want to invite you to come home here. When we talk about a church, we're not, we don't just talk about a religious service. I mean, this is okay. This is great. We talk about being a family. What that means is God's our father. It means we're brothers and sisters. And some of you might look around at you like, I've never had a brother that looked like that. Tough noogies. That's God's kingdom. That's his family. He makes family out of real strange looking orphans. He brings us together so that we will look at one another, even if we come from very different places and say, now you're family together because you've got a great dad who loves you. You're going to love each other. You're going to love each other. And I want to invite you, if you don't go to church, uh, I want to be really clear here. Um, if you've ever not gone to church and then church people look at you and they shake their head and it's like, no wonder your life's so screwed up because you don't go to church. The goal is not to just go to church. The goal is to meet God. And we believe that the church is the best way God has given us to meet him because we need to be with one another. If you don't belong to a church, I want to invite you to come home. Maybe this would be your church. It doesn't have to be this church. There's a lot of great churches. If you want to ask me, I can recommend you. But find a place where you can come home and be in family. Because the reality is, uh, and I guess I'm speaking more to some of us, maybe we don't go to church that regularly. The impression I have, because there was a long time in my life I didn't go to church. Um, This might shock some of you, but I used to be that guy that thought church people were a bunch of hypocrites. I was like, oh yeah, they talk real holy moly, but Bible thumping, but I know who they really are. Uh, They're not like that Monday through Saturday. They're like that for Sunday for like one hour. Um, I used to not have the highest impression of church people. Um, But one of the things we try to talk about here at the village is the fact that we're all very broken. We're all very imperfect. And maybe some of you, maybe you feel for me to go to church, I need to get my act together first. I need to get myself straight. I need to get myself cleaned up. But I think the son here, I think he gives us a real good template for how we're supposed to come to God. Come in your mess. Come stinking to join up. Come with your rags on your body. But come. That's the only thing. Because I will guarantee you, the one thing I I can't guarantee much, I will guarantee you, you come however state you are, humbled in heart, God will run to meet you. That's what he does. And that's what many of us in our church have experienced. So I want to invite you. If you've always thought church is a place for those who've got it all together, you're not going to like our church. You're going to meet a bunch of people who don't have our stuff together. But what we're saying is we believe in a God who wants us. He keeps, in, keeps inviting us home you know, even though we don't deserve it. It's called forgiveness. He keeps forgiving us. He keeps loving us even though we don't deserve it. And I want you to experience that. I want you to understand the way God loves in that way. Come home to family. So some of us, maybe we need to learn to trust God. We need to learn to trust him if this is who he is. And, and again, we're going to just be very real. Some of you, some of us, we have not had the best fathers in this earthly life. We just haven't. Some of you had. Praise God if you have. Some of us haven't. Um, my hope 
is that some of those relationships can be restored. And I, I believe God can do anything. I believe he can restore any relationship. So if you have had a jacked up relationship with your pops, I believe God can heal that. I really do. But it's also very possible that your dad may never be the father you would always wanted him to be. That's just real. As much as you pray for it, there is the very real possibility that your earthly father may never be fully the dad you would love for him to be. And you look at your friends and their dads like, man, I wish that were my dad. Why did I get stuck with this creep? He might always be a creep. But I mean, if we're being honest, a lot of us who are dads, we're kind of creeps too. None of us are fully the dad we would like to be. And, and women, if you're, none of us are fully the moms. None of us are fully the people we would like to be. But whether you've had a great dad or maybe you've had a rotten dad, I want you to know this heavenly father who knows you regardless. Whatever your earthly father gave you as a picture, I want you to know this heavenly father that loves you, that knows you. Even as you sit here right now, even as he knows all the ways you, have, you might have been hurt in this life, even by your earthly father, there is a heavenly father who loves you and wants you and knows you. Uh, I, I've shared this with our church. Our people in our church know this, but my father passed away about a month ago now. So there's just been a lot of fresh memories. And one memory I had uh, recently, as I was especially thinking about this, is, um, and some of you, some of you got to be old heads to know what I'm talking about. I, uh, there's that movie, old movie called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm not talking Johnny Depp version. I'm talking like old school, like early 70s um, uh, with Gene Wilder, the story of Willy Wonka. And I remember this came out in the early 70s. I'm dating myself. I remember I was at someone's house. We were over someone's house watching this movie on TV. It was this movie. And I guess it's kind of a kid's movie because it's supposed to be a kid's book. This is a horror film because... They got these creatures in that movie called um, Oompa Loompas. I mean, whoever made this had some sick like proclivities because that's just nightmare fuel. And I watched that movie and I remember as young as I was, I was real little. I saw these things and I got, I got nothing against people's size or whatnot, but they were just freaky, right? Scary, different colored skin. I got nothing wrong with different colored skin. Don't label me racist, right? But that's like extreme. And, and just weird hair and walk around, oompa, loompa, doompa, I mean, just scary stuff. I remember, and it's just, even though I was like, I could have been like, I must have been like four or five, but I remember as clear as it was yesterday, being home that night, mommy and daddy telling me, oh, it's time to sleep. <laughs> Nightmares. Because I was picturing these oompa loompas coming for me. <laughs> I hope I'm not going to give some of you nightmares tonight because it's scary. These, these Oompa Loompa creatures coming for you. But here's what I remember from that night. I remember my dad grabbing me and holding me close to him all night. And I didn't sleep much that night. Holding me all night and just whispering in my ear, I've got you. I've got you. You're okay. You're okay. You're safe. Rest. I've got you. I love you. You're okay. You're okay. Because this is the Father God that we have. Again, doesn't mean he's not holy. Doesn't mean he's not just. But for some of us, I think, we need to also know a God who's comforting, who's safe, who protects us, especially if we have not had that in this life itself. And I want you to know God in that way. 
I want you to know that kind of heavenly father, God. And the, I guess the question is, how can you know God? How can you know this kind of father? Simple for us as Christians, we believe that you know the father through the son. And when I say son, I mean capital S son. You know the father through the son, Jesus Christ. And, and when we talk about the cross, when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, um, you have to understand this is essential. It's not just that Jesus sacrificed because he was a good guy. What we believe is that when Jesus died on the cross, there was something really significant that happened. That, that when the Heavenly Father, in the same way like this story here, when he wraps you in these robes, when he puts his robe around you, when he says, go get my best robe, wrap it around my daughter, wrap it around my son, make them righteous now, let everyone know that they've got value now. For that to happen, it required the son having his clothes stripped off him. It had to have his righteousness stripped off him. He was still fully righteous, but when he went on the cross, he took our place. He said, Father, they're all jacked up. I'm going to take that upon myself. Give them robes of righteousness so I will take mine off in this thing called a cross. As the Father God slips that ring of privilege on you, as he slips that ring on you and says, now you're mine, now you're royalty, now you're my son, now you're my daughter, now no one's going to speak down about you because who speaks down about a king's son? Who speaks ill about a king's daughter? You don't do that. You don't play like that. But for that to happen, it required the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus himself, fully God, fully man, fully king, to take off his privilege, give up his ring, humble himself to be called a criminal, be hung up on this thing called a tree, uh, called a cross, this tree, this piece of wood, to have nails drawn through him, to be brutalized. Yeah, and you need to know, some people talk about Jesus like he's a chump, like he had no choice in this matter. Baloney! You know at any moment he could have called down the legions of angels and said, yo, let's all stop this. Let's get things, let's not get this twisted here. Let's keep the proper order here. I'm like king of kings, Lord. You're all down here. You're all ants. So there's no way you're hanging me up on a tree. Had every right to do that. But what did he do? He submitted himself to say, I'm going to be humbled and die for these people so that they could be given this ring of privilege. And as the father places these sandals on your feet say you're no longer a slave. You're, you're no servant. You're, you're no hired hand. You're my kid. Wear these sandals. It required the son of God to take off his sandals to say, I'm going to give up my sonship right now as I hang on this tree. It doesn't mean he ever stopped being the son of God, but he gave up the rights that a son deserves to the point where he even cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I wouldn't have to be forsaken. So we could be given all the rights of a son of God, a daughter of God. Jesus sacrificed all of the rights that he deserves as God's beloved son, including his very life, so that you can be made a child of God. So that you can be given the rights of a child, a son, a daughter of the living God when you trust Jesus for your salvation. So just real simple, I want to invite you to receive that salvation if you haven't. If you don't know God that way, if you've never said, God, I have run away from you. God, I am far from you. God, I have sinned. Sin is just a fancy way to say, God, I have not lived the way I should have. 
And it, just a little peel back the curtain, that's all of us. The Bible says for all have sinned. That's every single one of us. We all fall short. If you know that you've fallen short, I want to invite you today to come humbly to God and say, God, if you're a daddy that loves me that much, that you would allow your beloved son to experience all that so that I could be made right, I want to experience that love. So can I ask you to stand with me right now? And this is for all of us, whether you are, maybe you haven't been in church ever, and this is the first time you've been in a church, or maybe you're here every week. The one common invitation I want to give you today, close your eyes with me and imagine, imagine yourself walking along that path. And maybe you're walking in the wrong direction. Maybe you're walking, but out of the corner of your eye, you look towards home and you see someone standing on the stoop and it's your heavenly father and he's waiting for you. And he's, he's, he's waiting for you to come home. So I want to ask you right now, wherever you're at in your life, and maybe you feel you haven't done a single thing to deserve God's love, tough noogies, you can't control that. God's going to love you anyway. He's inviting you home. So I want to invite you to come home today. I want to invite you to come home. Wherever direction you've been running, come home. Stop trying to do your own thing. Stop trying to live your own life. Stop trying to make your own life better apart from God because it'll never be good enough. But trust that God can do what you can't do because of what Jesus did. Trust in the love of your big brother, Jesus, who gave up his rights on a thing called a cross so you could be made right with the heavenly father. If you're a Christian, I want to invite you up during this time of singing. Come to the table up front here. And what we do is we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus through communion. Simply, you take a piece of the wafer in the middle. You remember Jesus' broken body. And while you're up here, dip it in either side of the cup and take it right there. Remember his shed blood, forgiven, that forgives our sins. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you not come to the table. But maybe today... Maybe you want to tell God, God, I want to come home. I want Jesus to forgive my sins. If that's you, come up here, talk to us, but take communion and trust Jesus today. If you are already a Christian, maybe remind yourself of these things we've been talking about today. And maybe you've been running too, but no one can notice because you look really good on the outside. But maybe you've been kind of running off to different foreign lands as well. Come home to where you belong. Come home to the Father's house. Lord, Help us this day. We confess we're all needy. We confess we're all broken. And Lord, sometimes we can hear the story and we we exaggerate. We think it's just for those people who are very, uh, just so clearly away from you, like the worst of the worst. But you're reminding us this story's for every single one of us, Lord, because all of us search for different things in different lands. And you're trying to teach us gently, like a good daddy does. The safety is found in you. Love is found in you. Even when we chase after all those things, even after we chase after wealth, prestige, success, friends, sex, love, comfort, all those things are not bad necessarily, but they're not you. And you're reminding us to come home again and find our joy in you because you want to lavish us with love. So help us, Lord. Help us again. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what we couldn't do. And I pray you would save many of us even in this room today. And remind us how much the Father loves us. 
and wants to hold us tight to his chest and whisper, it's okay. I know life is hard, but I love you. I know things have been difficult, but I care for you. I know everyone else has abandoned you, but I never will. Show us your love like that, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the Son, Jesus himself. So I want to invite you to sing during this time. I want to invite you to pray. But I also want to invite you, you can come up to the table by yourself or with others as you would. And let's just worship God. Let's place our eyes on him together.